0: As we begin our time in God's Word today, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of song and prayer and scripture reading that we've already enjoyed. Lord, we know that you work through each of those things to build us up and to send us out. Lord, I pray as we spend this time in study uh, that you would open our hearts to receive the gospel, that you would unstop our ears and uh, unveil our eyes, that we might see the beauty of it and that we might be changed. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. I was telling uh, Bill before we got started that uh, my dog literally got a hold of my sermon this morning. I don't know if you can see that, but there's a paw print right there. And well, at, I, I was reading my sermon out in the out on the patio, and and decided I'd go in for another cup of coffee. And I got to making the other cup of coffee, and I got I thought as soon as I. Did it. I said, I bet you that dog's got a hold of that sermon. <laughs> and I go outside and sure enough he's laying in the grass with his paws on it, chewing at it on it. So if I mess up, it's my dog's fault. You can blame it on Fritz. That's 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 his work today. But this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. We're gonna look at verses one through twenty-three as we take a turn in a study that we've been in since the beginning of the year. We since the beginning of the year we've been looking at what it means to be a disciple. And we started uh, at the beginning of this series uh, defining the words that are used uh, in the Bible to talk about discipleship. And then beginning with the Beatitudes that we've already been through, uh, decided to take some illustrations from the, the Bible uh, that point to what it means to be a disciple. And so with the Beatitudes, really we have the first In Matthew chapter 5, we have the first full sermon recorded of Jesus and and the preaching that he does on what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. And this that we have before us today, Matthew chapter 13, is another one of those sermons, uh, a full recorded sermon of Jesus on what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. But this sermon is a very different sermon than Matthew chapter 5. And it's by God's good plan, not my own, that we're doing this because I, at the beginning of the year, when I sat down and planned out my sermons for the year, I did not think through it this well, but God did. And, and, uh, you know, when we went through the Beatitudes, as I've already said, a lot of you have said how blessed you were by that, how beautiful that was. And I felt the same way as I preached it. How much it blessed me and blessed my soul, but uh, and that's good because we need to be reminded of God's blessing in bringing us into the kingdom. But the sermon, the sermons, or the sermon of Matthew chapter thirteen is not so pretty. (laughs) I'll just go ahead and say I know a lot of you uh, remind me quite regularly that you love a good uh, hellfire and brimstone sermon. Well, these are the hellfire and brimstone sermons, okay? so uh, And and you might love it. You might say you love it. We'll see after today if you love hellfire and brimstone sermons because Jesus is going to preach to us and I'm going to try to match him in that intention of preaching uh, a hellfire and brimstone sermon and warning uh, those who would think that they are a part of the kingdom of God to be mindful of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God and what being a part of the kingdom of God looks like. And so Jesus is going to preach this sermon that involves uh, six or seven parables, depending on how you look at it, six or seven parables or short stories or illustrations, if you will, that, that tell us what it means to be a disciple. So let's start by reading the famous parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, God's word says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables saying, oh, a sower went out to sow. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given. And he will have an abundance, but from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is full uh, fulfilled that says you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and their ears they can barely hear with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and i would heal them but blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear truly i say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it And to hear what you hear and did not understand it, or did not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, and in another sixty, and in another thirty. So from this passage, I want you to see two points this morning. I want you to see the boundaries of the kingdom and the blessed of the kingdom. So first, let's consider the boundaries of the kingdom from verses 1 through 17. Uh, To understand Jesus' sermon, and most importantly, to understand his use of parables, we need to fit this sermon within its proper context. And you'll notice in verse one, it begins by saying, The same day Jesus went out of the house. Now, this statement sets this sermon immediately following the events of chapter 12. So, what happens in chapter 12? Well, chapter 12, if you're measuring success based on people's acceptance of Jesus' ministry, then chapter 12 is not a good day for Jesus. It is a litany of rejections of Jesus' ministry. In verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12, the Pharisees take issue with Jesus' disciples picking grains of wheat on the Sabbath. In verses 9 through 32, the Pharisees get mad because Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath and even go so far as to accuse Jesus of having a demon and casting out uh, other demons and healing people based on the power of Satan. In verses 33 through 45, Jesus twice condemns the present generation of his kinsmen because of their hardness of heart. And then, after all that has happened... The chapter ends with even his family questioning his ministry in verse 46. We we find that his mothers and his brothers come and st- or his mother and his brothers come and stand outside the door and want him to come out likely to try to kind of rein him in and get control over things so that he wouldn't embarrass himself so much in the rejection that he was experiencing. So with all of this in the background, we read that in verse 1 through 3 this great crowd gathers by the seashore to hear Jesus. And the crowd is so great that Jesus decides to get out on a boat a little bit further away so that the acoustics of the water will protect his voice and he can preach to them. And with this great sermon gather, uh, with this great uh, crowd gathered, Jesus begins to preach a sermon. and we would assume at this moment, Jesus is going to set the record straight, okay? He's had a whole day of people or a whole week or whatever time, uh, time frame it took in uh, Matthew chapter 12. He's had this whole time frame where people are just rejecting him right and left. And maybe this is the opportunity. He's got this big crowd gathered. He can set the record straight. And you can imagine that that's exactly what the disciples are thinking. Okay, now he's going to tell people, just straight up, he's going to tell them that he's the Messiah. Now he's going to explain the plan for raising up an army and overthrowing the Romans. So here it comes. Get ready. And then Jesus begins to preach. And in this sermon, he just starts telling stories. He starts telling stories of farming and plants and bread and treasures and fishing And it's obvious that these stories have a meaning, but he's not being direct. He's not telling it like it is, if you will. And this is exactly the concern that the disciples have, and they bring that to him in verse 10. And they ask him quite literally, why are you doing this? What are you doing here? And just imagine their frustration. They've been with Jesus through thick and thin. They believe him to be the Messiah. They've seen the amazing miracles he's done. They've even been empowered by him to do miracles themselves. They know exactly who he is. So why isn't he telling everyone? What are you doing, Jesus? And to this concern, and this is one of my favorite things about the ministry of Jesus in his life, One of my favorite responses that he has in moments like this to this concern, Jesus gives a striking answer. And it's going to it goes right into the point I want to make about the boundaries of the kingdom. Notice what Jesus answers. He says to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. There are two important truths that I want you to see in this statement. First, we've already seen in the Beatitudes, but it's worth stating again. And this is going to sound controversial, but I want you to hear me out on what I'm saying. There's a very clear message that Jesus has in these parables, very clear message that he has in the Beatitudes. And that is simply this, that the kingdom of God is not for everyone. As we saw in the Beatitude, Jesus doesn't begin his Sermon on the Mount by saying, Blessed is everyone. He doesn't say that. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He gives specific people on whom the kingdom of God has come. And now in this statement, we see again that the kingdom of God is not for everyone. The kingdom of God has come for specific people. Now, some say that all religions are basically the same, and it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you believe something. And that is wrong. Amen. John chapter 3, verse 18 says that those who do not believe in Jesus Christ sa- stand condemned. Some say... That there is no way to know whether Jesus is really the Messiah or not. There's no way to know whether there's a God or not. So there's no way that God can judge them for disbelieving. And that is wrong. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Some say, yes, Jesus is the true Messiah, but at the end of the day, God is a good God and He'll just end up saving everyone. But Revelation chapter 20, verse 15 says that anyone whose name is not written in the book of life through faith in Jesus Christ will be thrown into the lake of fire with Satan and his minions. You see, the kingdom of God is not for everyone. Second, Notice again what Jesus says in verse 11. To you, it has been given to know. Don't miss this word given here. Jesus tells his disciples that the reason they know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven is not because they did the right works or because they read the right books or because they studied under the right teacher. It's because God has chosen them to receive it. In verse 13, Jesus says that he speaks in parables so that those who don't believe, so that they, seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. In other words, their ears are clogged by the cares of this world and their eyes are shielded by Satan. But by the will of God alone, the disciples have eyes to see and ears to see, uh, ears to hear. You see, the kingdom of God is not for everyone but for those whom God chose to give it to. So the obvious question then is, so who are those people? If God chooses to give the kingdom to a certain group of people, who are those people? How do we know who they are that receive the kingdom of God? Well, that brings me to the second point, and that is the blessed of the kingdom from verses 18 through 23. So these verses... In these verses, Jesus explains to his disciples the parable that he's just preached, and in this parable, there are three actors or three uh, uh, actions, if you will, that you see. There is the sower, there is the seed, and there is the soil. So, the sower in the parable is God. The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the soils are the different types of people who hear and respond to the gospel. So, you, you know, it's September. Some of y'all, I think, are probably getting ready, or if you haven't already, you're getting ready to plant your deer food plots for the year, right? And uh, I've, I've grown up doing that every year. It's kind of a tradition uh, among the skippers that we get out together and we go plant food plots and and uh, waste a bunch of diesel and, and, and fertilizer and spend a bunch of money nowadays uh, doing that. And, and, uh, and when I was probably 14 or 15, I really wanted to, to get on the tractor and, and do the work. You know, I, I, up until then, I was the bag boy. You know, I went and got the bags and poured them in the, in, in the hopper and, and watched granddaddy or, or, or watched papa or my dad do that or my uncles or somebody and uh, so I was. I basically begged my papa to let me drive the old '60 model '60s model John Deere 45 horsepower tractor that we drove. That had a steering wheel like the size of my tires on my truck outside. And and, and it, it uh, if you listen to it, it sounded like it was 150 horsepower because it had the straight muffler, you know, and it just whoa like that. I love that sound. But anyway, he, uh, we got out there, and he, so finally he gives in, and he decides that he's going to let me run the tractor with the spreader on it. And so we put seed in there, and I get to taking off. Well, as I'm, I'm riding along, I'm just going along the edge of the field like, I'm suppo- like I think I'm supposed to, and I'm, I'm planting. And what I don't realize is the spreader doesn't spread on one side. It spreads on both sides. And I'm throwing seed down in this gully. That's right next to the field. And my papa, I don't get going, but like 50 yards. And my papa comes waving at me and hollering. He says, you're wasting seed. You're wasting seed. So he straightens me out. Well, even if you plant it right, even if you do everything right with a spreader, you all know that you're going to throw some seed into the woods or on a bad spot or in the briars or whatever. And that's exactly what's pictured here in the parable that Jesus is telling is this sower is broadcasting seed out onto a field and some seeds fall on the path. Some seeds fall on rocks. Some seeds fall on briars and other seeds fall on the good soil. And all of these different soils represent types of people that help us to narrow down this question of who the people of the kingdom are so let's start with the three types of soil that tell us who the kingdom of God is not for okay first the kingdom of God is not for those who deny it in verse 19 Jesus says that the seed falls along the path of And that represents the people who are deceived by the evil one into rejecting the gospel before it can take root in their hearts. You see, Satan deceives people in numerous ways. He deceives people through false religions like paganism and Hinduism and Islam. He deceives people by distorting the true religion through cults like Mormonism and Jehovah's Witness and the health and wealth televangelist. He deceives people through secularism, convincing them that the material world is all that there is and there is no need to be concerned with anything else. He deceives people with apathy and leisure and pleasure, convincing them that partying and sex and, good, and the good life is all that matters. The kingdom of God has not come for these people and they will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. Second, the kingdom of God is not for those who who had an emotional, spiritual experience, but have not changed as a result of it. In verse 20, Jesus says that the seed that fell on rocky ground represents people who heard the gospel. And notice the phrase there. It says they received it with joy. They received the gospel with exuberance. They got excited about it. They cried. They told everybody. They loved the story of Jesus. They loved the story of salvation. But catch what Jesus is saying here. A positive emotional response to the gospel does not equal saving faith. Let me say that again. I know that was loud, but let me say it again. A positive... Emotional response to the gospel does not equal saving faith. Your tear-filled walk down this aisle at a revival service doesn't mean a hill of beans if all that resulted from it is you getting wet. If you came crying down the aisle and nothing changed beyond the fact that you generally have good feelings about Jesus then you are not saved. Now listen, you can get mad at me about that and you can say, well preacher, that's not what I've always understood. I think I'm just fine. But I can say that with the full authority of Scripture. I can say that having said it right after the words of Jesus Christ here. Your emotions will not save you. Your affections towards this church will not save you. Your love for past preachers or past Sunday school teachers or past music directors will not save you. People who have an emotional response to the gospel but do not grow and do not change in that gospel will be thrown into the lake of fire. Third, the kingdom of God is not for those who put other things ahead of their love for Christ. In verse 22, Jesus says that the seeds sown in the thorns represent people who hear and receive the gospel, but allow the cares of this world to overshadow the call of the gospel. Notice here that Jesus uses an important phrase. He says that that seed in in the heart of those who are overshadowed by the thorns or the cares of this world, that it proves unfruitful. Now, remember, Jesus compares the gospel to seed in this story. And by its very nature, seeds grow, right? That's what they do. Seeds grow and they produce something. So the gospel, if it is well planted in a believing heart, will produce fruit. Yet this seed lands in thorns where it cannot produce fruit. So understand, if you are more concerned for gaining riches than you are for growing in Christ, you are a fruitless unbeliever. Doesn't matter what you tell people. Doesn't matter what kind of music you listen to. Doesn't matter that you like those country songs that talk about Jesus. If you uh, get, are more concerned about gaining riches than you are in growing in Christ, then you are a fruitless unbeliever. If you allow any and every activity to keep you from fellowship with God's people and discipleship in His church, then you may be a fruitless unbeliever. If you sit at home, arms crossed, angry for years over something that church up there did, you are a fruitless unbeliever. People who allow the cares of this world to overshadow their devotion to Christ will be judged and thrown into the lake of fire. So finally, now that we understand who the kingdom of God is not for, let's consider the last soil of this parable and who the kingdom of God is for. Jesus gives us two characteristics of the good soil. And I want you to notice these two characteristics as we end today. The two characteristics are preparation and production. So first, notice that the seed grows in the last soil because it is prepared. This is important, lest you think that I'm saying that in order to have salvation, you need to prepare yourself or you need to do good works. So I hope you don't hear that. I'm not saying that at all. Only what I'm saying is that the only heart that uh, has been prepared has been prepared by the work of the Holy Spirit and is ready to receive the gospel. And be fruitful because of it. As Jesus has already told us, the kingdom of God is not taken, it is given. So the good soil is not good because it plowed and fertilized itself, but because the farmer has already prepared it. In the same way, the heart that receives the gospel must be prepared by God, our ears must be unstopped. And the veil that is over our eyes must be lifted. Second, the seed doesn't just grow a plant. This isn't any ornamental flower. My, my wife loves ornamental flowers. She You know, daylilies and uh, uh, irises and all those kind of things. And they're beautiful. My, my world would not be beautiful without my, life, my wife. Not just to be beautiful in her own right, but also to make our house beautiful and all that. But as a man... I find it hard to justify planting a plant that doesn't produce anything. Let me just say that. She's not up here, so... Uh, <laughs> but Jesus says that a seed; these seeds are not just ornamental flowers, but they produce an abundant crop. In Jesus' day, the best a farmer could hope for was about 20 times what he planted, about a 20-fold increase. But Jesus exaggerates the yield of these seeds to make a point. Even in the worst producing seed, it produces ten times more than what could be expected on a normal harvest. So those who have true saving faith will produce fruit. And they won't just produce it some of the time. They won't just produce it because the preacher is fussing about how they need to produce fruit. But they will live for Jesus Christ every day of their lives. They will not resist the call to be baptized or neglect the call to faithful worship. They will instinctively love their neighbor as themselves and love their Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind and strength. They will plan for their family with the first concern for how Jesus, uh, uh, for how Jesus would have them to disciple their children. They will connect with their church with the primary concerns of growing in Christ and caring for their fellow believers. Because the seed of the gospel has taken root in the prepared soil of their believing hearts, they will desire the things of God above all else, and their lives will be changed because of it. Saving faith is a faith that bears fruit. There are people who, for the, These are the people for whom the kingdom of God has come. These are the people whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. These are the true disciples. Yes, we are saved by faith. We are saved by faith alone. It is not by our good works that we are saved, but by trusting in what Jesus has done. But as Martin Luther, the famous man who... Coined the idea or the the phrase, uh, salvation is by faith alone. He said, salvation is by faith alone, but not by faith that is alone. Saving faith is a faith that produces fruit. And you will know them, you will know who those people are who are of the kingdom of God by their fruit. As Jesus says in Mark chapter, uh, chapter 4, when the, uh, the, man, the lame man is lowered down from the roof and the, his friends come to make sure that Jesus sees him. And Jesus, it says, seeing their faith had compassion on the man. Faith, when it is a saving faith, is something that is seen. And it is seen in the fruits that his people bear. And so this is what it means to be a true member of the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a true disciple. And may we find ourselves in that good soil. May we find ourselves being obedient to the call of Christ and following in his way because we believe in the gospel that we have heard. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word. Lord, it is a hard word, but we know that it's good. And Lord, I pray that it would have its effect. That you would work through the preaching of the Word and through the work of your Spirit to change hearts. Lord, I know in any group, as we'll discuss next week, there are those who are stony-hearted. There are those who are like the path that they just don't believe. There are those who at one point responded in joy, but now they realize, "I, I just really don't know that I believe this. There are those who are allowing the cares of this world to crowd out their faith. Lord, I pray that you would change their hearts, that you would till the ground of their heart, that they might be awakened to the need for the gospel and the need to bear fruit. Lord, I pray that we would all be found faithful, that we would all be found fruitful as we trust in what Christ has done for us. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.